Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky, and disturbing children's books, films, and TV. I run Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the Australian TV series Round the Twist. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good morning, Adam. Have you ever, ever felt like this? What, slightly sleepy and beleaguered? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> loads, of, loads of times, Ray. <laughs> oh, okay. Most um, mornings. So <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking about uh, Round the Twist today, um, which... It's an Australian children's fantasy TV show. Um, the, uh, it's like four series that were aired between 1989 and 2001. With quite a big gap between season two and season three. Yeah. Um, and it felt like it was on uh, CBBC, really, for most of my childhood. Um which is probably not true, but it feels like a, it was around a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I certainly remember re-watching, like, the, the spaghetti episode. I feel like I watched countless times. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I don't know about you, but I had quite a complex relationship around the twist I think because I was fascinated by it and did like it but I guess being a kid with OCD it has a lot of gross out humour yeah um like the, the, there's a surprising number of plots focused around weeing <laughs> yeah no um my friend Jim uh, came into the room last night and said, oh, I'm watching Round the Twist. And he was like, oh, have you got to the episode uh, with the weeing? And I'm like, which, which one? Like, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and presumably they meant the, uh, the weeing over the wall in which young Bronson um, enters into a competition to wee the highest and ends up with some kind of superpower that allows him to wee all the way over a wall. <laughs> yes, he did mean that one. Um, yeah. but, but there is also the episode where Pete wees on a tree and becomes impregnated by uh, yeah. a tree spirit. So That's true. I mean, uh, there's, there's the one when... <laughs> The, the little fish jumps all the way up 
<laughs> injured Parsons penis, which thus acts as a propeller, giving him amazing swimming powers. That that is a genuine plot. Yeah, that 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 happened. That happened. You think you hallucinated it, but no, it it happened on Round the Twist. Yeah, many things happen in Round the Twist. <laughs> um, so uh, the plot is uh, follows the the Twist family, which is uh, teenage twins Pete and Linda, and their seven year old brother Bronson and their dad, Tony. And in the first episode, they move to the fictional town of Port Naranda to live in a lighthouse. Um, and it's it's kind of, I think it's known for one, having a really good theme tune, and two, sort of, yeah, as we mentioned, kind of pushing the boundaries of acceptability for a children's tv show so yeah yeah, this first episode skeleton on the dunny um is pretty scatological from the go-get so as the Mm. title implies uh is about so this lighthouse only has an outhouse for a toilet so they all have to go across in the middle of the night if they want to use the bog um and it turns out that it's a haunted dunny um Thus giving rise to quite a lot of scatological humour. The worst and most contrived of which is that oldest brother, Pete, has a false tooth, um, which he has to wear when he goes to the toilet, apparently, (laughs) which was quite... I don't quite understand the connection there, but... um, But anyway, he, he goes to the toilet and his false tooth somehow falls out into the toilet, uh, which then prompts the kids to go on a sort of little uh, trip to the sewerage rendering plant, um, whereupon uh, a a tray is brought out uh, of shit. (laughs) And Pete retrieves his shitty tooth, um, which which then he boils in some water and pops back into his mouth. Oh, how lovely. (laughs) <laughs> and as my sister pointed out why did it have to be a tooth <laughs> it could have been a ring <laughs> yeah it could have been all matter of small objects but no no it has, has to, to be, be a... the one adjacent to his mouth yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, um. Another good Phoebe observation was that in the car at the start, they're singing um, Twist and Shake by the Beatles. Twist and Shout. Shout. Yeah, (laughs) good shout. Um, And and she pointed out, are they singing this because it's called Round the Twist? It's because it's their name. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, but what what families sing songs based around their own name? <laughs> I, I don't sing songs with the name Wybray in them. <laughs> Those many songs, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> all, all the songs about the questioning horses. <laughs> um... <laughs> um. 
yeah, so I think we we have we have Paul Jennings to to thank for these uh, strange and scatological plots, at least for the first two series. Um, did you did you read any of the Paul Jennings books? When you I didn't really. I read. I think I read one of them because um, I remember reading the one about the the boy whose hands are covered in nails, like scales of nails. Which I think is also a Run the Twist episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but I think I was put off by the covers. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when we were young, do you mean the double covers? Yeah, I think so. So the way the covers worked when we, we were young, like, yeah, I used to sort of... I don't know if it was published by Scholastic, but I, I sort of remember, mm. you know, a lot of these books in the library or the library van that would go around or book fairs at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and the covers were doubled. So basically the front cover uh, would look like, you know, uh, normally it was like just a, some teenage kid, um, possibly with, with, with something a bit odd going on, like, you know, maybe, like, looking down in surprise at, at, at the nail on their hand. And then mm. the front cover had holes for the eyes. Mm. Um, so the eyes were looking through from the uh, the cover beneath it, which was creepy enough. <laughs> and then you'd lift the first cover, and beneath there'd be some kind of horrific transformation. So the boy covered with uh, nails. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. Um, or so the first episode we're really going to talk about is Santa Claus. And I, I definitely read that one as a kid. Mm. And um, so, so, so the front cover's this boy, uh, and then you open it up, and then his mouth is really shrunken and tiny underneath. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I say I couldn't quite remember what I found disturbing about the covers, but yeah, I think it was, it was that double thing. Um, mm. I think the Santa Claus episode, I mean, it captures moments of the griminess of the original story, so that's one thing that stays in my mind about reading Jennings when I was young, that they had this sort of suburban griminess. Uh-huh. They're always quite sort of grotty and grubby. Like a lot of the locations, you know, always seem quite sort of run down. And mm. um, yeah, the, the, the characters. I don't know. Like it often seemed like these these sort of uh, young teenage protagonists would sort of meet these like disreputable uh, or outcast figures, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And the Santa Claus of Santa Claus is one such figure. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a memorably grimy and dishevelled. Um, and you know it's a weird episode around the twist when the whole thing is positioned as being a dream. Yeah, this is too outlandish even for around the twist. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so it has this uh, yeah slightly confusing structure where Pete falls asleep in front of the fire on Christmas Eve. Um, and then he sort of dreams that he's telling the story to... Uh, I've forgotten her name. Linda's friend in the playground. Yeah. And he's he's had his mouth shrunk to a tiny hole and he's telling the story of how this happened to him. Um, 
in, in, in his now high-pitched voice, which I don't think... I mean, if I purse my lips together, my voice doesn't suddenly go high-pitched. <laughs> it might be a slightly whistling voice, maybe, but... Mm. <laughs> I don't quite understand why having a small mouth suddenly means your voice is really high. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's probably mm. not the most ludicrous aspect of the story. <laughs> um, so I so guess, the, yeah, the story is all based around uh, Pete's uh, cynical teenage lack of belief in Santa. Yes. Um, so Bronson's really excited about going to the to the school fate to see Santa Claus. Um, and Pete's all like, oh... Do you, you, know, you still believe in that sort of thing? And Linda's telling him not to be a dick. But um, they uh, they go to the fete, and you know Pete goes goes outside, and he sees a kind of procession of toys falling off the roof. Um, which I really, I really like that sequence. Mm. <laughs> they just sort of tumble down into his arms. Um, yeah, and he catches has- them has that kind of sort of phantasmagoric pop surrealism of Paperhouse that we talked about yeah. a, a few mm. months back. Yeah, isn't that very creepily atmospheric? Um, then, yeah, he catches them and a man claiming to be uh, one of the real Santas comes down. Because um, uh, there's... Uh, I don't know, he's Santa number 1058 or something. Um, but he's, um, he's yeah, he's very dirty and dishevelled. He has these long pointed fingernails. Um, and he says he's Santa Claus. As in Claus. Yeah, he looks um, a bit like, have you seen Mulholland Drive? Uh, not in a long time. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, there's a bit where there's a sort of um, dishevelled, particularly dishevelled, homeless person possible creature uh, around the back of a diner oh yeah 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 uh, he looks quite a lot like like them <laughs> <laughs> um and um and he says that he sort of implies that that santa clauses are like a species um because he says they've evolved, yeah, that they've evolved they've, they've evolved claws <laughs> from scrabbling up chimneys <laughs> um, but yeah, he 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 tells Pete that he has to um, that he has to give him and all his family two wishes because he helped a registered Santa Claus. Um, and Pete's like, yeah, whatever. And then Pete's yeah. And uh, so he sort of follows Pete around, um, and he ends up having an altercation with the Santa at the fate, who is Nell. Ah, uh, okay. I just uh, <laughs> I love Nell so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- oh, I should have guessed you'd love Nell, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, slight digression about how much I love Nell. Um, Nell is the the neighbour. Um, sort of lives in a nearby cottage. Um, played by Bloody Brook, and she just ha- has this like great like slightly grizzled older butch aesthetic including permanent <laughs> lighthouse keeper's hat um which is just such a strong look uh, i love it um she her brother was the last lighthouse keeper 
um, and her parents and sister all died in a shipwreck. Um, and she sort of turns up to give um, advice and warnings and, I don't know, magic and lighthouse lore. Yeah, gen- generally filling them in on the lore and folk stories uh, of the surrounding area in Port Marion. Yeah. Um, but so, so she's, um, she's Santa Claus. Um, uh, and uh, as the real, one of the real Santa Clauses calls her, she's a pillow belly. Which I thought was a great, a great <laughs> name for fake Santas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so they have a kind of scrap on stage, um, in which I'm pretty sure she headbutts him in the bollocks. Um, but um, they, the 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 real Santa gets uh, expelled from the from the building. Um, um, but he After follows... performing a beautiful operatic, um... oh yeah, <laughs> quite bizarrely because it's a fairly long sequence. Yeah, he sings the whole, um, the whole first verse of of Silent Night very beautifully, which is sort of dubbed over the actor's real voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um, <laughs> um he follows pete pete home to the lighthouse so that he can give out his wishes um which he eventually manages to do um i think tony takes him up <laughs> tony takes him up on it first and uh asks to be to be whisked away from here by a by a beautiful someone and his uh, his girlfriend Faye turns up um and um and then his second wish is uh, something naughty whispered in the ear of yeah I, I I've written ominous sex wish ominous sex wish yes <laughs> <laughs> well um, well just because the, the sander like raises his eyebrows is like oh you old dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right, it's a bit uh, unwholesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite. Um, <laughs> so, so, so their dad leaves, um, <laughs> leaves them to their wishes. Um, um, Bronson wishes to be bigger than Pete and becomes very big, and then, in traditional wish um, progression then has to wish, use his second wish to wish to be his normal size again. Oh, he didn't think it through. He didn't think it through. Um, Pete wishes that he could see this, like, pop star that he has a crush on in person. So she's whisked out of the telly into the living room. She seems quite yeah. confused and frightened. Well, it's quite confusing because she's whisked out of a music video, seemingly, rather than a live performance. So, has she... Is this, like, <laughs> her in the past whisked into oh. the future? Like, yeah. has this replicated her? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because presumably this is pre-recorded. I'd, I probably overthought this, but I found, I, I found <laughs> it quite confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was really case. thinking about those metaphysical implications, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
He also has uh, to use so I've clearly been working to too much back. on my academic book. <laughs> like, I just... And then Linda's... That's okay. And then Linda wishes for Santa Claus to go away. And she does. But little does she know, she, she forgets that she still has a second wish. Um, and then... Um, uh, Pete, like, blurts out to to Bronson that the Santa Claus at the faint was actually Nell. And Linda says, I wish you didn't have such a big mouth. And that's, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Pete's mouth, uh, shrinks right, horrifically. Um, so the whole episode's basically one long shaggy dog story. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> to get <all> <laughs> bad joke at the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one detail that the episode doesn't have, which I remember from the original story, which I thought was a shame not to include, was that um, the main character of the story, or Pete in the episode, now has to subsist on peas alone because they're the only <laughs> thing that he can fit through his mouth at a time. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, one detail that I liked was that um, when Pete's going into school and he's trying to hide from the bullies um, so they don't because he's wearing a bandana over his tiny mouth but like <laughs> Linda and Bronson distract the, the bullies with like a lovely fluffy bunny <laughs> I forgot about that yeah that was cute <laughs> um, that's where they're all uh, distracted by stroking this this cute bunny um <laughs> so we followed up with possibly an even stranger episode yeah um which is know all right <laughs> yeah uh although this is episode 10 so at this point all the characters seem to be quite accepting of the strangeness of the lighthouse like considering yeah, but- that this is an episode where they're possessed by old Victorian clothes from a circus. They all seem to just get on with it, really. <laughs> yeah, so they drag this barnacled old chest ashore, um, find that it's filled with old circus costumes. Uh, Nell turns up as the voice of reason and goes, oh, they were all drowned in a shipwreck. You probably shouldn't mess around with those. But um, they're like, they're nah. like, nah, we love wearing dead people's clothes, what? mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're the twists. We're wacky. It's what we're all about. <laughs> Um, so yeah they waste no time they're just uh, straight dressing up in straight on with them yeah um, dressing up in haunted circus clothes Um, um, and they also for good measure dress up the scarecrow um, as a clown yeah (laughs) so so this is probably the only um, episode of a children's tv show or anything to create the the hellish combo of <laughs> scarecrow clown. I mean, Wurzel Gummidge maybe came close, but you know. Yeah, um, they're really going for um, for the double here with a a violent clown and an animated scarecrow in one. <laughs> <laughs> Two childhood traumas for the price of one. <laughs> um. 
<laughs> it, it, it's pretty damn awful. Like, I won't I, lie, I genuinely found this one quite scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he has this piercing, maniacal laugh. Which, <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> well, which, which is, uh, which is un- unsettling. Um, and this, there's this kind of big, bristly straw moustache. Um, he's kind of still part straw, but with a human face, but with clown makeup. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty awful. <laughs> um, and there's a bit. So he pursues Linda. So Linda's dressed up um, in the clothes of uh, a woman who was a clown, mm. and so this is the lost love uh, of of the clown. And so he's he's pursuing her. Um, sort of like you know, it, it, it sort of filmed like a slasher film or something. Like uh-huh. one good thing about the lighthouse is it really does allow for some nice kind of claustrophobic cinematography. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's a bit where he jumps through the door window, so the door to the lighthouse is a little sort of porthole <laughs> style window. And the scarecrow just leaped straight through it. I think I swore out loud. I was like, what? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's not carrying a knife, but you just kind of feel like he is. Well, there was a bit where he smashes a piece of broken door. Um, and okay. it turns out just to give give himself uh, a skateboard, uh, Lord of the Rings style, to uh, <laughs> surf down the stairs. Oh, yeah, it's, um, it's But w- when, when he did that, I, I thought, oh, my, he's making a stake to, to stab <laughs> Linda with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it also sort of anticipates the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Um, in this uh, scene where, where Linda thinks she sees him moving and then... She sort of turns away, and then he's moved a bit more. There's <laughs> <laughs> a great kind of creepy synthesized fairground music. This episode, oh, yeah. so a really yeah. kind of eighties residence style, <laughs> which I, re- I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like, I might just download the episode as an MP3 and like edit together all the music so oh. I can listen to it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I found this the scariest episode easily out of mm. all the ones we watched. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, um, it's resolved because um, Tony has taken on the role of the fortune teller um, as Madam Dad, as Bronson introduces him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, he, uh, he foresees a solution to... He, he's he's a he's a kind of sculptor, or sort of found items artist. Yeah, and he's um he's made a, an artwork called Chain to Chores, which is a, a a mannequin, which is a mannequin. I don't know with handcuffs or something, and and she's yes. she's um. Yeah, but he he's lent that to his girlfriend. There's, but it, there's yeah. a nice little discussion with uh, with Linda about whether it's feminist or uh, misogynist, which I thought was quite decent. Yeah, <laughs> Linda's very much a Lisa Simpson character. Yeah, um, she is actually. Yeah, in the um, in the early seasons, at least. Um, you know. 
Well, sort of troubled Lisa Simpson. A Lisa Simpson the rest of the family are quite worried about. I, I think that's also Lisa Simpson. Oh, yeah, it's true, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, she's a sort of feminist and environmentalist and it's kind of played quite broadly as tended to happen in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, his um Tony has to go and get this mannequin back. Um and he ends up dressing dressing the mannequin in the Lady Scarecrow's outfit um that Linda was wearing. Are you there, Adam? Yeah, yeah, sorry, no. I was oh, listening. sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you're like, oh, Adam hasn't piped up to interrupt me with some kind of bad joke digression. He must be gone. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, um, and um, and the sort of the mannequin kind of fades into life, and uh, they. Well, I don't even know where. Where do they? They put them both in the back of a back of a truck yeah and then cart them off to the circus oh yes they don't to the circus yeah okay yeah where they Um, they live for however long reanimated skeleton clowns live for (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so so in terms of sort of shabby reanimated dead things um, there's a good very shabby-looking dead fox in Grandad's Gifts from season two. Yeah, this is a really interesting episode. Um, um, it, yeah, it's... Um, I liked it because it had a lot of Nell in it. Um, basically, um, so they start talking about this tree in the... Um, in the yard of the lighthouse, um, and uh, and Nell says, "Oh, my 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 grandfather, grandfather shot a fox uh, and buried its innards under that tree." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, classic Nell interjection. Um, and um, and um, and then sort of Linda has a dream, has a dream about it, that the trees growing lemons it's a lemon tree but it's never really born many lemons but um she dreams about it and then in the morning it's um she there's lemons on the tree and there's a the fox pelt that the granddad shot the fox to make this this um this pelt for for his wife but she never she never liked it but that turns up in a sort of secret cupboard in Linda's room. Um, so there's a sort of a connection between the lemons on the tree and the the fox pelt. Um, and the fox starts making these kind of mewing um, guinea pig-like noises. It doesn't mm. sound much like a fox to me. Although I guess you've probably got more fox experience than I have. Well, I mean, it's probably good it doesn't sound like a fox, because... It'd just be screaming. Foxes, yeah, foxes sound like they're being murdered in the night. 
which should be <laughs> they sound like children being murdered in the night yes more specifically. specifically so um <laughs> it's probably good they didn't go there um and and the fox wants lemons for its eyes yeah these these fox got lemons which are uh, lemons pretty... for the fox god <laughs> um so she, she sort of brings it offerings of lemons and that kind of the lemons uh, contain the essence of the fox and it sort of brings it back to life um yeah there's some proper associative magical thinking in this episode oh yeah it's, yeah it's great um um but but before but it's eye the fox's eyes have been replaced by like beads or glass eyes um and before she can get the last lemons to um that that contain the the spirit of its eyes um <laughs> uh the uh, the gribble boys um who are the the bullies um uh rip up the the lemon tree and claiming that they're they're pruning and um destroy the lemons and the fox's eyes with them Oh yeah, so we haven't really talked about the Gribbles. No, so Mr. Gribble is a local business tycoon. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that sounds um, about right. And he um, he wants to buy the lighthouse from Tony um, um, to make something terrible with it probably which is the kind of through line of all four seasons really yeah they're going to have to protect the lighthouse from from the mr gribble um and his son and his son's cronies are the um the the antagonists for the kids yeah and they're sort as of well crass bullies basically <laughs> Yeah, like 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 yeah. slightly sort of doltish, kind of you know, dunderheaded bullies. Hmm. Um. Yeah. And we haven't actually mentioned, but um, because there were such big gaps between the series, um, there's a lot of cast changeover, um, in the show. So like the first um the first series was 1989, the second was 92. And then the third and fourth went till the early two thousands, so most of the kids change between series one and two, and then again between two and three, and then a lot of the adults change uh, recast between two and three as well. So just going through and watching, um, watching sort of different episodes from different series is um, is a little is a little surreal. Um, yeah, and and I'm amazed I never noticed as a child. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd completely forgotten that they, if I ever noticed. No, I mean, especially as all the Bronsons in particular look quite different. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so. I, I was trying to rank which performances were the best in each season, but then, you know, when you're dealing with child actors or near enough child actors, it started feeling a bit mean, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the third Pete is the one 
I don't know. I feel like I remember that Pete the most. Yeah. But I don't know. But the third and fourth series are not the best. Well, the the <sighs> first two seasons are based on Jennings books or stories, mm. whereas the third and fourth aren't. Um, mm. I think the third season. I mean, to me, the third season started feeling a little bit more self-consciously weird and gross out and then the episode the fourth season I watched felt like self-parody basically yeah yeah (laughs) but um, Um, so Grandad's Gifts before we move on is mm. resolved by I mean do they find Nell's Grandad's eyes yeah so so Nell and like is comforting Linda who's distraught and says Oh, there's another lemon tree, you know, the small lemon tree over here. Why don't you, why don't you try the lemons from that tree? Um, and then there's like, oh, it won't work, it won't work. Well, the lemons look rubbish compared to the first. <laughs> like, they yeah, look all, know, you know, pockmarked and shriveled. Yeah, they're not very promising lemons. But Nell's like, come on, do do it for me. So so Linda does, um, and then like, and then it works, and the the fox opens its eyes. Um, well, she doesn't think it's work, but then the fox, like, creeps out of the lighthouse, um, and it has these bright blue eyes, um, and it turns out that these were, these are Nell's granddad's eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that have, so, that so, Lin- so Linda's trapped a granddad's eyes in a fox for all eternity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Which I guess is what you get for shooting foxes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty uh, goosebumps X <laughs> twist there. Um, <laughs> um, I felt like this this episode was the closest to get to kind of Aussie folk horror, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. Um, very. Such a weird concept. Um, uh, lemons containing the essence of fox. <laughs> yeah, I'd we have. God, it sounds like something you get a, a, a fancy bistro now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> lemons with fox essence. <laughs> with shavings of granddad's eyes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could be the texture of the week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. Should we do texture of the week? Okay. Okay. Um, oh. Uh, oh, what's this? Should Should we like try and sing the Rana Twistin tune? Oh. To texture of the week. Uh, okay. What? Have you ever? Ever, ever te- text- textured like this. this. <laughs> Strange textures happened. On its texture of the week. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Sorry, that was extremely awkward, but I felt like we had to... Yeah, you you got to keep it on brand. We had to pay homage. Um, yeah, don't worry. I, I, if I add like you know some kind of synthy nineties keyboard, it'll sound exactly like the original. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Do you want to go first? Um, no, because I'm still <laughs> thinking. <laughs> okay. Um, so I know I always go for horrible ones, um, <laughs> but... Because you're horrible. Because <laughs> I'm horrible. But uh, the real eyeballs emerging from the scarecrow's straw face uh, were, were quite a texture. Yeah. That was that was quite quite a thing. Um, yeah, the jelly of the eye and the, the bristle the, of the straw. The bristle of the straw, yeah. I, I have got one, actually. Um, the texture of Bird Boy, which is otherwise not a very good season four episode about mm. a uh, a bird boy who has a good singing voice. Um, but the costume of the bird boy just looks like it's festering. Like, it's the least majestic bird boy I could possibly imagine. So it's got, like, the colours of a kind of macaw parrot. Um, mm. But somehow, they just it looks really sort of scrappy. It looks kind of scabby, basically. Mm. Um, or, or, like, it's sort of um, got mushroom spores on it, almost. Oh. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I just thought, the costume looked really kind of rank. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, hmm. yeah, but, but season four otherwise isn't very good. Like, the characters definitely start to feel like caricatures themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Pete is just... Is it just only talking about how much he likes girls? Yeah, like, at any given opportunity. <laughs> Like, do you, do you want some breakfast, Pete? No, but what I'd really like is a girl. <laughs> yeah, to a degree that it starts being a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think that's the only season four episode we really bothered. Mm. Yeah. Um, but uh, season three starts with a bang, with the big burp. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, one of the most memorable episodes. Yeah, it literally made me gag. Oh, yeah, it's really quite horrible. Um, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we don't need to go too much into it. Well, Pete, the... Pete wheezes on a tree and yeah. thus impregnates the tree, then spends most of the episode belching really grotesquely. Um, yeah, and because he's pregnant. With the tree's baby. And, and he has to give birth through his mouth. And then he gives birth through the mouth. And then... <laughs> there's a sort of horrible... Little-otic-style tree baby with Pete's face superimposed onto it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um. And then... Um, did you did you notice the horrifying twist at the end? Well, where Bronson goes to pee on a tree. Yeah, and it's the same tree. <laughs> it's the tree of the tree baby. So literally, oh, no. yeah. So literally, at the end, Bronson's about to impregnate his brother's child <laughs> through weeing on it. <laughs> it's twisted. <laughs> That's genuinely twisted. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, my sister's takeaway from the episode was that the message of it was that you can wee on whoever you want to wee on. (laughs) (laughs) And that wee is so magical. Uh, he did wee on the tree for a very long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a majestic wee. <laughs> um, the, 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 I like also that he sort of spews out this stuff after the pregnancy, and then one of the characters oh. says, Oh, just a bit of an afterbirth. <laughs> oh. Oh. God, that was horrible. Um, just, it looked like snot. Yeah. It looked like it was vomiting up snot. Um I, I mean, I did like how supportive everyone was of his pregnancy. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and I liked the kind of gender oddness around um, when um, the, uh, the, the 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 tree spirit, who's a girl, is um, is the father, um, and um, <laughs> and um, the the reporters become interested and. Um, and so they're asking Pete, like, who's the father? And and Pete goes, Ah, oh, she's a tree. And the and the, the reporter goes, The father's a she? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and I guess the tree spirit then sort of plays up to this stereotype of the, the bad, uncaring father who you yeah. know, doesn't know if they want to be present at the preg- at the giving birth. Yeah. So um, eventually comes through. Uh, there's a nice um Yeah, uh, I guess Australian saying about um, to get someone pregnant, you drop a tadpole in their beer. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that was Nell again. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nell sort of explaining pregnancy to Bronson, and um, she goes, "You know, if if someone drops a tadpole in her beer, <laughs> <laughs> from from which arises quite a lot of awkward humour with Bronson saying that he's going to get Faye pregnant." Yes. Really awkward all round. It was a very awkward episode. Um, (laughs) I was also going to tally, you know, I should have been more like you and actually kept a tally, um, you know, being proper. But um, I started trying to count up how many times characters say Bronson or Bronson. Yeah. Like it's kind of the catchphrase of the show, really. Yeah, he's always doing something... something gross. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's not entirely limited to Bronson. No, no. Found out in this episode. They live within a, a gross world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, was the last episode, do you want to talk about Toy Love? Yes. Um... So season three, episode nine, uh, which yeah, again going in on the classic, classic horror tropes with um, with a with a creepy doll. Um, and again, a Linda centric episode. I think we watched a few mm. kind of Linda centered ones, um, which is good because she's probably the most interesting character out of the three kids. Yeah, she's the one with the most um, most has a character. Yeah, I mean, Pete's this sort of belly generic teenage boy and Bronson likes gross things <laughs> like, um, yeah um. so it starts with the family twist um, disposing themselves of lots of clutter from around the house 
under under Faye's um, uh, instruction because she's moving in or she's just moved in to the lighthouse. They eventually end up just bringing almost everything that they've decided to chuck out back into the house, um, except for this uh, Linda's old doll, Veronique, who um, has a has a pull string that says a uh, cuddle me <laughs> when you pull it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so Linda rescues her Michael Jackson doll and like takes that to to bed with her, but um, Veronique is um, slighted by this and turns up in Linda's bedroom in the night. Um, sort of, sort of scuttling around, like um, at the end of her bed. Mm. <laughs> yeah, hide, um, hiding about. Mm. Um, with her, with her little cuddle me catchphrase. Um, so, <laughs> which uh, we don't see, but apparently she she crawls towards Linda, saying "cuddle me," which is <laughs> quite a horrifying image. Um, and Linda uh, sort of starts out understandably very distressed by this, but becomes increasingly badass over the course of the episode, uh, to the point that yeah. at the end she's sort of delivering Arnold Schwarzenegger-style catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, near the end, you know, she's sort of kicking down her bedroom door, uh, <laughs> uh, and then the dog goes, Cuddle me! And she says, Cuddle my stick! <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and it ends up um being resolved quite similarly to um Noel. Mm. In that she finds another inanimate companion for Veronique. Um in uh, in her Michael Jackson doll, and they are satisfied to cuddle each other, <laughs> which, which I think is an ending that the real Michael Jackson would have appreciated. Mm. Like I think Michael Jackson, if he watched this episode, probably really enjoyed it, which is nice. <laughs> um, for some reason, I, I'm I'm glad you did. You watch this with Phoebe? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like I feel like I don't know for some reason feel like this is something that Phoebe would have things to say about. Oh, well, we, we certainly discussed whether we were going to watch it with baby Sophie. Oh, okay, yeah, this is baby... Yeah, this is a baby Sophie thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, but we decided not. I mean, I advised Phoebe to, um, you know, say some kind words before bed to baby Sophie. Because um, <laughs> Phoebe's sort of creepy, maniacal doll when... <laughs> <laughs> when when she was little, uh, who she gave quite an odd personality to, that uh, <laughs> baby, baby baby Sophie um, had lots of belief in her own magical abilities and claimed that she could control the weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she she's she's now comfortably in in a basket in Phoebe's room, along with Im- Imba the seal, who is my <laughs> my favourite cuddly toy as a kid. <laughs> Good. 
because we, we see what happens if you don't if you don't uh, pay enough attention to them yeah yeah um i think um and i think it gets across its point in a more succinct way than toy story did mm. yeah so yeah i mean are there any other sort of episodes you wanted to mention um, that was all the ones I rewatched on this this little outing. Um, yeah, I think we've mentioned uh, some of the more outlandish ones, <laughs> at least in passing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure every everyone who watched this as a kid will have their own, you know, particular episode that sticks in their mind. So, yeah, I say the one that always stayed with me is the one with the backwards remote control that's remote control that uh, uh like click and control time and uh, there's a spaghetti eating contest which uh <laughs> hilariously is put in reverse um oh. to seriously grotesque effect yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah oh i think um I think that was everything I had to say, except like to just put out a appeal that in case anyone wants to make a YouTube compilation of uh, just the nail bits around the twist, because um, uh, I would watch that. <laughs> and base your aesthetic around it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that, that's like, that's what I'm going to, I think maybe when I'm old, <laughs> wear, wear a lighthouse cap. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and give a stranger, give a dark warnings about various magical um, and haunted things to small children. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the credits. Mm, so, um, our intro music's by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music's by Jake Kelly. Our artworks by Letty Wilson. I'll put their details in the show notes, and you can find us on Twitter at StillScaredPod, or email us at StillScaredPodcast at gmail dot com. My gosh, you got slick at that! <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> do you do you have a sign off? Mm. Mm? <laughs> S- sleep well, creepy kids. Without my pants. Ah! <laughs> See you later, creepy kids. Without my pants. <laughs> Bye. Well, that's funny every time. <laughs>